0: certain times where you wish you'd just keep worshiping. This is one of those times. I'll share a few words with you tonight, um, and then we'll worship a little bit more. We'll have an opportunity uh, to take the, the Lord's Supper, and uh, really glad that you're here. I know you could be at a lot of different places, and if you're a guest with us tonight, it's a real treat, and I hope you kind of get to see a little bit behind the curtain of just, okay, this isn't just a flash and a Group, this is a this is a this is a people that have been on a journey for a long time, and who follow a great big God. Who, uh, look, let me tell you, specifically, a great big God who loves you. And maybe you just need to hear that tonight. And maybe you just need to know that that He's not unaware, uh, He's not caught off guard, He's not surprised, He's not shocked. anything that's transpiring in your life, whether it's your choice or someone else's choice. it's He loves you. And tonight I hope that we can kind of lean into that a little bit more and maybe have some reframing done. We've been in this series called Let Hope In, looking at this reality that all of us have a hope meter, so to speak. We have this hope meter that kind of wanes at certain moments in life and certain seasons and certain struggles that we go through and we need a little bit more. And the, the scripture writers kind of say that we have this, this hope that's an anchor for our soul, that the, really the hope of God is this ever-expanding kind of hope, one that you can go back to. It's kind of like the faucet on the side of the house. Every time you turn it on, it works. But if you just had a pail of water, sometimes that, that runs out. But God is just this unending source of hope. And tonight, as we kind of dive back into that, I hope that that maybe stirs your heart a little bit. We've, um, we've been looking at a few different things. There's really, um, there's a few things in life that really go together, that you need them to go together. Otherwise, they don't work, they don't function, they don't matter like they're supposed to. Maybe some, you know, simple things like whipped cream and Starbucks frappuccinos they go together some of you here you you defame the frappuccino by going and saying no whip okay stop it they're meant to go together all right let just run further if you need to or something i don't know but they they are meant to be together peanut butter and see No one makes a jelly sandwich. And if you do, that is wrong. And you need some help. Batman and... Without Batman, Robin is just a lonely guy running around in tights, and that is definitely wrong. Okay? Some things need to be together. They they need to coexist. They need to be there. Maybe some deeper things. Without water, fish can't... what? swim, they really can't live, okay? It's even deeper than swimming. Without oxygen, your lungs can't... They don't work. Which, hence, creates a problem for you. Right? Without love and trust, relationships can't grow. They won't. Trust is like the foundation of relationships, of any relationship. foundation of our relationship one to another in our relationship with God. It takes trust. See, without faith, faith is a word that's used a lot in the Bible, and oftentimes, faith in a lot of ways, I can kind of maybe give you a simple definition. It's just a growing trust in God. That's what it means. It's this faith. Without faith, some things don't happen. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that, Without a faith, without a growing trust in God, it's impossible to please God. Wow. Oh, wait, 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 check. You know, I, I could do a lot of things. I can accomplish a lot of stuff. I have skill sets, I have abilities, I have talents that I can use, and you're telling me God isn't pleased when I just do those things? Well, well stay with me. Because I think by the end here, We'll circle back around to this and maybe you'll begin to see the kind of life that God calls us to and the kind of life that we so often want to drift away from because there is a tension that exists in that space where you hear that phrase and go, I don't know if I like that. Yeah. Like I said, we've been in this series looking at some choices that we can make that maybe expand our ability to, to live in this ever-expanding hope of God. And we've looked at a couple different things. We kind of said this a couple weeks ago that your past isn't just in your past if it's still messing with your present, right? And we said some people, as we start a new year, they they want to forget their past, and yet they get caught into these same cycles over and over, and their hope meter kind of goes way down, and they can't seem to break out of that. And God says, I've got a plan for you. See, the gospel says your past doesn't have to dictate what your present and future is going to be. That's the hope. That's the good news of the gospel is that with God's hope and with his help, we can continue to move forward. That God is the source. So we kind of centered around two different questions. First week was this statement that if you don't learn to transform your pain, you will transfer it. That we've got to learn to say, God, help me transform the pain from my past so it doesn't keep messing with my present and with my future. We looked at the story of Joseph and how he had gone through so much and of any guy who stood at a moment when his brother showed up, who had the right to revenge. It was that guy. And he didn't. Why? Because he let God somewhere in the path of his life begin to transform his pain. So he didn't just transfer it to people that he bumped into, and to people who came across this path. Last week we looked at this. Choose the path of confession, because it's greater than the path of concealment. That when we make mistakes, when we do have setbacks in life, and we kind of get sideways, that we choose the path of of living the unhidden and authentic kind of life. That we don't try to keep that hidden and play the cover-up game and all that, because that will drain your hope. It will drain the ability for God's hope to be activated in your life. And we looked at David's life and how he had been down both paths. And in Psalm 32, he says, look, you want to choose the path of confession. To live this unhidden, authentic kind of life. We struggle with that at times in our culture because we airbrush everything. And we want our life to be perfect. And we want people to see the perfect us and to see the perfect image. And we struggle sometimes to choose the path confessions, I wrote this, sometimes we overestimate the cost of confession because we underestimate the cost of concealment. That the path of confession to live this unhidden, authentic kind of life is the life that Jesus has for us. It's the kind of life that God wants us to walk in. And we know that life with God is found in our trust and relationship with Jesus. Jesus. That it really comes by nothing else. It isn't by works or by effort. We, we know that in our mind. And when you come to a place where you, you long for some of the deeper things in life, we all have longings in life, whether maybe it is frappuccinos for you, I don't know. But we long for deep things of life, too. We long for affection and attention and acceptance and approval. And we long for those things. We want those needs to be met. And even as children, we look for those. And maybe our our kids, maybe parents or aunts or uncles, you realize, okay, kids have a lot of wants in life, but really at the end of the day, what they want is to be known. What they want is to be approved of, to be accepted, to be known. That everybody wants to be in those straight A's. They want those as a part of their life, and every child has those needs. And often as we grow up, we don't outgrow those needs. We may try to meet them in different ways. In fact, we may even face defici- deficiency in our life. We don't get those needs met. And so we look for other things to fill those needs. And we struggle with that. And if you do that long enough, it will begin to exaggerate out into other areas of your life. And you know people like that. In fact, you've probably, like me, been on a path of that. That at certain moments, it begins to even affect how you see God. A.W. Tozer is a scholar. He wrote these words. He said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That our concept, our understanding of God that we find in the scriptures, it needs to be this foundation of our life. Because what we think about God impacts how we perceive and how we uh, interact with God. How we look at spiritual matters and how we approach our spiritual journey. Is God a God that we can trust? Is he a God that we can know? Is he a God that knows us? Is he good? Or is he maybe like some of your dads or moms or aunts or uncles that you were never quite good enough? And so you had to work for it. And you longed for attention and and approval, and you tried everything to find it, and still kept up coming up empty. And so you dedicated yourself to working harder, and working harder, and trying your best to hear, well done. And maybe it still eludes you. See, what you think about God, what comes into your mind, is the most important thing about you. How you picture God and how you begin to see in Scripture the kind of God He is. And to have it begin to replace maybe some of the the misconceptions the mis, uh, and the misperceptions that are part of maybe your past. That because of those misperceptions, sometimes they begin to fade and change how we pursue our present and our future. And it actually gets us into the cycle of things. And trusting versus trying is a tension that we have to manage. And so often we want to go one way, and yet the scriptures call us to a different path. And so the choice that we have to navigate is this, choosing to trust God rather than trying just to work hard enough to please God. You will have that path, that bent, that thought pattern, that meaning one way or the other. As you come to faith. Now we know we all start in faith the same way. It's by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. It's a gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast about it. We all come to a saving faith in God through Jesus. Period. That's it. That's what the Bible makes really clear. But it's sometimes right at that moment. Is when we find life in God. We begin to try to figure out life with God. How do I do this? And if your misconceptions are are beginning to play out old tapes or patterns in your mind. You can even begin to buy into this notion of, I've got to sell out, I've got to forge ahead, I've got to clean myself up, I've got to shape up, and I've got to work hard for God. He loved me by the skin of my teeth. And that's awesome grace. But somewhere along there, we begin to stop realizing that grace is actually fuel for my life. And we begin to see it as just, it was something that saved me. And now I've got to work really hard for God. Have you ever felt that within your own life? That I've got to prove my worth now? Have you ever struggled with that? And all throughout the scripture, there's this, there's this pull in us. And the very nature of us is, can I really trust? I want to go my own way. I want to do it my way. But I know this way is supposed to be good, but I want to go my own way. I have, I have two dogs. One of them is a spaz. Her name is Sugar, and she really is a spaz. Uh, She's like a Jack Russell mix, and and today I was getting stuff in and out of the car, and I left the door open. Now, 95% of the time, if you come to my house, our Jack Russell mix dogs will sound like they're going to attack you and eat you, but really all they want to do is hug you. And so every time the door is open, this dog runs every time every single time the door's open if we don't if we don't stand in the door and physically block her and so today i did the test where i opened the door and i said to her stay and i went outside and i began getting things out of the car and i would come back and i'd walk past her and she'd be looking at that door you could just see it in her brain i've got to run i've got to run and just, you know, it's just her little bobtail. Just, it's her whole body shakes. And she's just, i got to run. And I would come back by her again and say, stay. And in this moment, here's what's going on. Is she going to trust me that the world in this house and in our backyard and in our family is better? Is it better than the world that exists outside this door? And I really, really want to run. But every time she runs, in fact, a couple times she's been gone for a couple days. But she always comes back, and you know what? She's happy when she comes back. Because she's figured it out. We love her. We take care of her. I, I have a hard time doing that with her, but we do it anyway. My kids love her, and so I take care of her. And this dog has this tension. Will I choose to trust, or will I go to try make it on my own? Now, it's a silly dog story, but is it something more? Isn't that your life? Isn't that mine? Isn't that the plight of humanity? God, I know you set this up, but we kind of want to go this way. God, I know that you love us and that you're good, but I, I don't. I want to see. I just want to go out the door. I just want to try. And maybe you have faced that tension, for a time or two. One of the tendencies in Christianity sometimes is when we begin focusing and saying, uh, I want to try it my way. God, thank you for saving me, and now I'm going to try to work really, really hard that you'll keep me around. Because here's what uh, sometimes we know. We know love in our society, which love is a word that describes a lot of different things. We know sometimes love is based on what? Performance, right? See, when I do really well in school, my teacher approves. Right? When I have the great performance on the field, then coach shows up and gives affirmation. Right, That's the way our world kind of works. And there becomes this tension when it comes to the spiritual journey. God, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I've got it from here. I'm going to take your grace that, that brought me into life uh, in God, and that's my foundation, and now I'm going to try really, really hard to make you proud that I was worth your grace. And friends, all throughout the scriptures, this gets us sideways and it gets us to weird places. Sure, your grace saved me, but now it's up to my effort that you'll keep me around and you won't abandon me like someone else. Do you hear how ungrace-filled that even sounds when you say it out loud? How hopeless that really is? Because you probably know yourself like I know myself. And I know I would fail at that. That I couldn't do enough. The Gospels make it clear that Jesus didn't want to just simply call us to edit our behavior or to have this sin management issue where we just kind of do behavior modification. He wants to change our hearts. We didn't just have a virus or a bug inside us causing us to make mistakes and malfunctions. We were dead in our sins. And we needed new life. We didn't need a rebooting. We needed resurrection. And Jesus says, you not only need a resurrection to have life in God, but you need my grace to have life with God. And so would you just stay connected to me? Would you just trust me? Would you just lean on this and forget trying all the ways to make me pleased in you? I'm already pleased in you. Would you just live in partnership with me now? See, without faith, without this growing trust in God, it's impossible to please God. The writer goes on, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That God rewards those who look to him. Trusting God is what pleases God. When I just live and say, God, today, I trust you with this day, this season, this adventure... This month, this week, I trust you with this. Would you help me to live in you? Would you help me to make trust this core part of our relationship? Because trust is a core reality of every relationship. And trust is never stagnant. It's either increasing or it's decreasing. True? It never stays the same. Because relationships don't stay the same. There's ebbs and flows to them. And in that moment, we're called and said, look, I I want to be a person who trusts in God and lives by his grace instead of always getting on this spiritual treadmill where I'm trying to modify my behavior and try to edit my, my life down to where I can maybe somehow win God's approval. Listen, you already have it. His name is Jesus. He approves of you because he loves you and he came on a mission to find you. Live in. Don't seek that out. You already have it. Now live within that. Live within that. That brings freedom. The the life of trying to get God's pleasure and trying to get His attention and trying to get His affection and trying to get His approval is a never-ending, tiring journey. And it's not one fueled by grace. It's fueled solely by your effort and by your energy and by your hopes. And in the scriptures, sometimes we begin to see this, the whole book of Galatians kind of looks at this notion where Jews had this right, they had the life with God by the Torah, by the law, right? And then Jesus comes in, and all of a sudden in this moment, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You are to live by faith, this growing trust in me. Come to me. You live by that. And yet you have this tension that's building with these people who have had a history for a long time. And in the in Galatia area they begin to have this debate. Could the Jews actually hang out with Gentiles, the non Jewish? Or did the non-Jewish people actually have to take on some of the rituals and some of the traditions of this people with a long history in order to have right and godly behavior? And they kind of had this equation where it's more right behavior and less wrong behavior equals godliness. And Jesus would look at that and say, no, it's Jesus, me, plus nothing, equals everything. That's the grace that we live in. Galatians 2 says this, We Jews know that we have no advantage over birth. Paul is writing to these people over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through a personal faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by trying to keep these rules. It's not by Jesus and his grace to save me, and now I've got to do all these other things in order to live this life that God calls me to. Jesus kind of made it clear when he talked about this in John chapter 15. Maybe this is the passage I would love for you to wrestle with this week. And in John 15, Jesus says, look, there's a pattern. There's a, a, a bent of the human heart that I want you to fight against. I know he's saying to his early followers, I know everything within you is going to be, I want to go try to win God's more approval. I want to go try to win another level of affection. I want to go try to to make you proud in everything that I do. And Jesus says, I just want you to learn to trust. Because as you trust, that's what pleases me. And we'll do all those adventures, but I want to do them together. Not you out on your own trying to do it. I want to do it together. And so Jesus has these words. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will bear even more fruit. That there's this active process going on. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I speak to you. Here's the verse. Verse 4, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remain in me. Trust, abide, dwell. Be present. Stay with me. Keep trusting me is the essence of what he's saying in John 15. Don't live a life where you just try really, really, really hard. I want you to live a life where you just trust really, really well. And as you trust me really, really well, we're going to have adventures. And we're going to do this in partnership. Trusting in God is restful trying for God you'll be restless it'll be a journey that never has this end to it, that never finds joy because you're always going to have to lead one more thing or do one more thing or perform one more way in order to get God's approval friend, you already have it that's the gospel you didn't do anything to get it it's just a gift given to you As we live reliant on His grace, we won't become reluctant to give His grace. And, friends, I know too many Christians, followers of Jesus, who are reluctant with grace. You know why? I think it comes back to this trust issue. I think they're stuck in a pattern of trying really, really hard to be godly, to beat their sin. To, to conquer the, the demons that haunt them, to, to conquer their past, and to prove that they overcame. And here's what I want to say to you, what Jesus would say. Remain in me. That's how you overcome. Trust me. I'll empower you to get past the roadblock or the habit that you can't seem to break free from. Trust me. And as you lean into my love, you'll become a person who is not only saved by grace, but you're fueled by grace on your Mondays and on your Tuesdays. People who continually depend on the grace of God will continually be dispensers of His grace. The central issue in the faith of being a follower of Jesus is about trust. Who are you going to trust? Yourself or God? Can I be really uh, honest? This last year has been an incredible year. And in all outside, you know, looking things, it's been an amazing journey. But I got to tell you, um, this has been one of the hardest years for me personally. And here's why: prepping for this sermon, here's what I discovered. Um, I'm a guy who likes to try, and I've lived a lot of my life trying to. Prove to God that I love Him. And trying to win His approval and attention back. And what hit me is, uh, Dummy, you already have it. Um, I, I couldn't love you anymore. And I know that's something I say and it's something I preach, but it's not something that grips your heart until it grips your heart. And in in this last year, it has been a journey of trust. Trust. You know, we tried really, really hard uh, to move us to Midtown in the, in the spring of this last year. And we tried everything we could. In fact, I remember standing in a kitchen of a house that we were looking to rent. I texted Brian this week. Uh, we stood in the kitchen of the house we were going to rent. This was going to be our office, our headquarters, our great place. And we called the realtor. And 30 minutes before we called, someone had already put in an offer. So I doubled it. And we said to the realer, we'll double the first month payment right now and take it. And we got a phone call back. No, we got to honor the process. And I remember driving home going, God, I don't get it. Like, here's where we're trying to go. This is close to that. And we had things we thought were already lined up. And then in the midst of that whole process, everything came down like a house of cards. And I text Brian this week and said, man, I'm glad that... God's grace is bigger than my stupidity. Man, I'm glad that I just need to learn to trust that he's in the midst of this. So friends, this tension is real. And it's real for pastors, and it's real for you, and it's real for all of us who are followers of Jesus. And this tension comes down to, will I live a life of trust? Or will I abandon that? and very quickly go into a life of effort where I'm trying to do everything on my own. And Jesus says, would you just trust me? Would you abide in me? Because here, you know what? We're going to have adventures, but I'd rather have those with you than you just out on your own doing your own thing. In fact, it's actually more fun when I'm a part of it. And that's the joy of this moment. That's the joy of having a partnership with, with other churches and other pastors who are a part of the story that's building and developing here is because we're learning how to trust. And it's a central, central issue. That all throughout the scriptures, there's this call. Will you trust? Trying to live for God's acceptance and love leads to slavery. But trusting and living from God's acceptance and love is freedom. That's why we come and take communion. That's why we remember in a moment that As we sing a song and as we lean into communion, remember that Jesus came not just to give me life in God, but to actually help fuel my life with God. That as I trust him, I get to remember that it's his life and it's his death and it's his resurrection that not only saved me, but now fuels me forward. And so in a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to take communion on the left and on the right here, and we're going to engage in a worship song, and we'll end here in a few moments. And if, as a follower of Jesus, if you want to take a moment just to kind of remember his life and his death and his resurrection that said, hey, trust me. That's what we remember in the moment of communion, is I'm trusting that it's, it's God's grace and it's only God's grace. That gives me life to the full. That leads me forward into adventures. And it's what I remember as I take that bread and as I take that cup. And we've got uh, little baskets where you could dispose of the cups afterwards on the tables there. And so I'm going to invite you. And just invite you to pray along with me as our worship team comes. And as we lean into this final song to maybe make this an anthem or a prayer for you. God... We want to be a people that figure out and refigure out and learn and relearn what does it mean to trust. You gotta pray for our friends gathered here tonight. For each one of us, there's gonna be those moments in this week where we're gonna to want to try really hard. And you're gonna call us to choose trust. You're gonna call us to a moment of saying, Do you trust me? And and that may be a scary moment for us. Father, would you help us to choose to live in the the bent and in the pattern and in the behavior of trusting you. That your grace is not only grace to save me, but it's grace to fuel me in my everyday decisions. In the moments that come before me. That we would be a people that live a lifestyle of trust. Knowing that that's always fluctuating. It's either increasing or decreasing. Help us to be a people this week that put that on the increase that our faith and our trust is growing in you. Father, we remember Jesus' life and his his death and his resurrection that gives us a resurrected life and the possibility of life in you and life with you. So as we partake in communion, would you meet us in this moment and in this song, would you nudge us for our next step with you in the adventure with you help us to abide in you this week